listening to a Called Collective podcast, where we seek to equip the next generation of ministry leaders. The Called Collective produces multiple podcasts, which you can find in the description below. To learn more about The Called Collective, visit our website at thecalledcollective.org or check us out on Instagram at The Called Collective. Welcome back to the Defining Yes podcast. I'm your host. My name is Regan Tippy, And today I have the honor of having Jordan Reif with us. She is the worship pastor at College Wesleyan Church here in town. Has been serving there for quite a while, if I'm um, right with that. She has been married to her husband, Daniel, for seven years. And they have two daughters, three and eight months. And so she's going to give us a rundown just of her life and how those all integrate together Um, So, Jordan, if you would give us an introduction explaining where your relationship with the Lord began and how that led into your call into ministry. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Reagan. Uh, I grew up in a Christian home. My parents came to Christ sort of in the the Jesus movement of the 90s in California. And so they both came. My mom came from a predominantly Roman Catholic background. She's an immigrant from the Philippines. And then my father grew up in sort of a traditional Christian home, but uh, they both came to a personal faith with Christ in their late 20s. And so uh, even though there's some semblance of Christianity in their in their history, it really felt like they were sort of the start of that, mm-hmm. uh, that discipleship, that deep discipleship when it comes to our family. And so I grew up with them trying to figure out their faith, mm-hmm. uh, and and I am really, really thankful and blessed that they took their relationship with the Lord so seriously because from an early age, uh, my dependence on the Lord, um, my fascination with the church and of Scripture was sort of embedded into every part mm-hmm. of who I was. I was also homeschooled, and so my mom had the freedom to integrate faith into our learning. That's awesome. And so from a young age, I have always known a closeness with the Lord that I really attribute to their their discipleship and and uh, the community of faith that I was a part of early on shaped and formed my love of the church. And while the, that relationship has ebbed and flowed, it's changed, and I would say in some ways it's matured greatly over the years, mm-hmm. I really think that I had a healthy love for uh, the Christian faith from an early age. That's awesome. And then where did your call into ministry yeah, happen at what point? Yeah, that's fascinating because the church that I grew up in, women in ministry was never overtly preached against. It just mm-hmm. didn't exist. So yeah. I grew up in kind of the free Christian church tradition, um, a non-denominational church that has its roots in sort of the uh, frontier revival uh, era of Christian history in America. And so there were no pastors, uh, no ordained pastors on staff in our in my home church. There were no women who served as elders or deacons. Mm-hmm. Um, we had one woman who was on staff, but it was children's ministry, which is kind of the trend you sort of yeah. see with tr- Christian church tradition. And so the the notion of even being in ministry in a, in a church, in an ecclesial setting was far from my mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I did, though, dedicate my life to, quote unquote, ministry at, you know, a, a church camp that I went to. I attended a summer camp every year, big, big conference type. And I felt at at the age of like 12 or 13 that whatever I did, I wanted it to be for the Lord. And Mm so it felt like at these kinds of conferences, at least, you know, when I was growing up in the early 2000s, there was really only like two calls 
at the altar, right? Uh, there was like, do you want to give your life to Jesus? Mm-hmm. Or do you want to, do you feel called to ministry? Yeah. And again, because I had no framework of what it meant to be called to ministry, being in the church didn't exist. And so um, I surrendered myself to doing work for the Lord, but the way that I approached it was more through like behavioral sciences. So I came mm-hmm. to Indiana Wesleyan in 2008 and I majored in psych and social work and um, was going to do some sort of behavioral counseling or work with uh, specifically at the time I was thinking like women or a group home setting, something like that. I ended up dropping social work about halfway through my college career and then adding Christian worship as a minor just for fun um, <laughs> because I had done that uh, in my home church. I played in the youth group band. I okay. um, liked to play and sing. And it, it was it was odd how quickly the opportunities opened up for me to start leading worship around mm-hmm. campus, local churches in Grant County. And so then after I uh, graduated, I got a residency at College Wesleyan um, for two years because I was like, I don't know what it looks like to work <laughs> in the church. I didn't even yeah. know I could work in the church. And you, you have to remember too, like I'm dating myself here a little bit, but, but this was like before, you know, Carrie Job and Stephanie Gretzinger and Brooke Frazier, they were like all mm-hmm. kind of coming onto the scene then. The only like worship le- female worship leader that I really knew of at the time was Darlene Check. So like you didn't even have like the fact that I could be a pastor, yet alone a worship pastor mm-hmm. in a church and make a career of that was just so foreign to me. Yeah. So I did the residency at College Church for two years. It was part time. And then after my residency was over, they asked me to stay. And I've been there ever since. So we're going on wow. like 11, 12 years. <laughs> wow. And I am now ordained in the Wesleyan Church. I got ordained last summer. Yep. That's awesome. Yep. That's incredible. Um, so you kind of answered this next question, but maybe explain, you didn't really know it was a role you could play being yeah. a worship leader um, until like halfway through college, kind of starting getting the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, did you always know you wanted to maybe use that gift that God had given you even before like you knew in a church setting you could? Yeah. Yeah. I had, uh, I came to Indiana Wesley and thinking I would get really involved in music. I knew they had a chapel. Um, I had, when I'd visited, I'd seen chapel and I'd heard like, Oh, you could probably do music through, you know, for FCA or Mm -hmm. whatever dorm, dorm devotions. And really for those first two years, I had a hard time getting involved anywhere. I don't, I don't know why even like I tried to put myself out there and it just, it just didn't happen. I think reflecting back on it now, I really see that as a, a period of time where the Lord was kind of softening me. I think that I had some uh, prideful expectations of what I what I would come to college and do or accomplish. Mm-hmm. And I think the Lord really needed uh, to soften and correct those areas in my own life. So about halfway through college, I had kind of given up on that. I was just like, all right, like use me if you want to. If you don't, you know, let me be yeah. put aside for you, whatever. And so when that sort of resurrected after I changed my degree, I was kind of surprised by that. And to be honest, Reagan, I'm not really like, I would never consider myself a musician. Like I can play the acoustic guitar. (laughs) I can sing, but like, I don't, I have zero, like very little formal training in this. I took piano lessons for a couple years. I'm self-taught on guitar. I've had a couple voice lessons, but like, as far as like, it takes me forever to read music. I don't really like my husband, on the other hand, I would say is like as close to a prodigy, a musical prodigy as you can get. Like he just, he is, he embodies every part of what I think a musician is. And I am so far from that. That doesn't mean I can't do it. I just right. like, it's not really like my, where I like hang a ton of like credibility. Yeah. You know? I don't even actually, like I like listening to music, but I don't really like 
love it, love it. Like mm-hmm. I like I like congregational worship for the formational aspect of it. Yeah. So even to this day, if someone is like, "Wow, you're a musician," I'm like, nah. <laughs> I'm like a fake musician. <laughs> I can I can do the job, but that's not why I do it. If you told yeah. me tomorrow, uh, yeah, you're not going to be a worship leader anymore, I'd be like, okay, like I'd miss certain parts of it, but like. As long as I'm serving the church, that's where mm-hmm. I feel the most fulfilled. Yeah. And that's awesome. Mm-hmm. Knowing like your identity is not in what you do for the church in a specific role, but it's mm-hmm. what you do as a whole. Like, yeah. Just being willing to serve in different aspects. And I'm sure you get that being on staff at a church. Kind of all your roles go hand in hand a little yeah. bit and yeah. you, you know, serve where you need. But but that is interesting that you wouldn't call yourself a musician. I wouldn't. <laughs> and all my volunteers and my they're always like, oh, you're being, and I'm like, I'm not trying to be falsely humble. Like, I yeah. just genuinely, like, yeah. I know myself and I know, like, the steps it would take for me to, like, actually consider myself a musician. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I just don't have the time to take those steps right now, you yeah. know? It's kind of about where your priorities and values are yeah. lying. Yeah. Especially this season yeah. of life when you're kids. raising two yeah. young kids yeah <laughs> yes if I was gonna do it it should have been like five years ago <laughs> yeah um so when it comes to this call and you, you said the call wasn't necessarily like this moment but just like this this feeling of wanting to serve the church always wanting to yeah. be involved but maybe more so when you did get involved in a church maybe with a residency or asking to be on staff did you have any distinct stories of either opposition and people not supporting you in that or distinct stories of people who are like, you were equipped to do this. You're made to do this. Yeah. Either one of those stories. Yeah, I think, I'm, I think I'm really fortunate and, and maybe blessed is a better word to have had a really positive experience in the Wesleyan Church. That's awesome. Like I said, coming to Indiana Wesleyan, like I didn't have a framework really outside of the name of what like a West, the Wesleyan tradition was. Again, I come from a background that is like largely against denominations, mm-hmm. even though it's funny, like we're all, anywhere you go, it's going to have like a historical stream, right? Yeah. And so discovering what the Wesleyan church stood for, what it meant, all of the like stereotypes about it that like either are true or not true, like discovering those things in a, a in a really healthy community was good for me. Mm-hmm. So there were things I could push back on in terms of like, well, what do you mean when you say like you can be sanctified? What does it mean that you guys affirm believers baptism and infant baptism like what does it mean when you guys say women can be in ministry like all these things that like uh my friends or family were like wait what like what is a wesleyan and Mm -hmm. and so i had i've had people in my life from the early inception of my exploration of like wesleyan history who have been helpful voices in that and i mean it's awesome that we're right next to indiana wesleyan in terms of like we have i have people it's like i read position papers or statements or theological books and it's like oh that person goes to our church you know what I yeah mean? like this is amazing so I would say I would say for me personally I've had very little opposition or mm-hmm. um or negative experiences mine have all been really positive to the point where I'm 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 so grateful and I have a hard time and, and I, I'm trying to listen more empathetically I'm, I have a hard time sometimes even uh, understanding when I talk to other women pastors about some of the things they've experienced. I believe yeah. them, but I just don't, it's been not been my experience. Mm-hmm. And I'm really grateful for that. But it's like, I also then want to steward what's been given to me so right. so freely to other people. And so I can't speak enough of people like Steve Deneff, Emily Vermilia, Charlie Alcock, and others in the denomination who have, Joanne Lyon, who have just been so gracious and so supportive of me as uh, as someone who 
works for the Lord in the Wesleyan Church. Mm-hmm. That's incredible. And actually, it's been cool. Um, you're now my seventh guest on the podcast. And mostly all stories have been like just so much support. And part of it is I think everyone who's been on the podcast so far has been Wesleyan. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, a huge part of our faith is we we equip women in ministry. And that's such a gift that a lot yeah. of people don't have. Yeah. But I think almost so like our podcast is a little bit geared towards high school girls mm. who feel called into ministry. Yeah. And at that age, I mean, you're thinking like, I'm going to face opposition. Yeah. Like that's what you're told when you're called into ministry almost. That's how I felt. I was like, I'm going to face people who are telling me I can't do this and I can't do that. Mm-hmm. And I'm going to have all these walls. And I think we have a little speed bumps here and there and not saying opposition doesn't exist. I think mm-hmm. it really does. But hearing the stories of like, no, I've been supported. And these yeah. girls can hear like, you can have a story of support. Yeah. yeah. And I think that's so encouraging to constantly yeah. be hearing these through this podcast. Of Well, and I think, Reagan, you even just saying that is 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 has triggered a thought to me. I, I'm someone who came into the Wesleyan Church from from a tradition that would have opposed women in ministry. Mm-hmm. So mine is one of welcome because I've been I was I was welcomed into something yeah. versus I think that if you talk to people who are uh, maybe grown up in the Wesleyan church or other or other traditions that affirm women in ministry and they're stepping out. Yeah, that's where I think you're going to bump into a lot more of the opposition. And unfortunately, right. there also exists, you know, with even within traditions that say they affirm yeah, women in ministry, you're sure. still going to find. I mean, I hear crazy stories, you know, of like, you know, it happens all the time, even within our denomination, small things happen where, you know, there was a pamphlet that got passed out a couple years ago that like in sin it was like a pastors and wives and it's like whoa <laughs> yeah <can't, laughs> you know what I mean like yeah and so some of that is just yeah some of it can be like cultural things that have not shed yet and mm-hmm. other times it can be kind of harmful you know yeah. and so I think stewarding and navigating those kinds of things is interesting but I do think there's a big difference if there's a you know a younger high school girl listening to this who's grown up within the Wesleyan tradition mm-hmm. and plans to stay within the Wesleyan tradition I think there's going to be a, maybe a different story than someone who says you know I I'm going to go to a you know a traditionally Wesleyan school and then I'm going to just kind of take the first job that I get right. I would say I would caution and say like it really matters the theology of the mm-hmm. church that you're going to belong to and even if a church says they're non-denominational explore that because yeah. Um, you'll find that there's like acceptance on certain levels. Like you can be a children's pastor, you can be a youth mm-hmm. pastor, but you'll you'll never be asked to be more than that. Or even yeah. like honestly, like you can be a worship pastor, but yeah. a senior pastor or the head, mm-hmm. you know, the head pastor or an executive pastor. Like no, no, those are like, you know. So I think those are th- important things to consider. And um, I'm not saying that that you necessarily have to make some big decision based off of that right now. But I think that those values and what a church will stand for will then bleed into your everyday Mm -hmm. life. Um, So it's at least something to consider. Yeah. And always being aware. My Mm -hmm. first year, year and a half of college, I was attending a church that I loved. And I still speak so highly of the church. I think it's great in what they teach. And man, I just loved the worship there and all the things. But then it wasn't a Wesleyan church. And at first I was like, I mean, I'm Wesleyan. I don't mind that it's not Wesleyan. Like, that's not going to deter me from a church. But one day I just decided to look deeper into the roots of the church, and they don't affirm women in ministry. Mm -hmm. And I was like, I love this church. I would never advise somebody not to go to this church. But as somebody who is going to pursue ministry, 
I don't necessarily want to be involved in a church where I'm not ever going to get opportunities Mm -hmm. to actually serve. Mm -hmm. And I was like, all right, I need to, you know, switch it up. And, you know, since then I've found a church that I get to now serve at. So it's been incredible. But always understanding, like, what you're choosing to, like, where you're choosing to serve, what they believe. Always being aware of that to make sure that we are in spaces that we will get that support or at least have more opportunities to get the support rather than... Yep. you know, opposition. But jumping into the next question. Um, so you've been married for seven years. Mm-hmm. You now have two kids. How do you integrate ministry and family life? How do you do that alongside of your husband, but also now raising two daughters in the church? How have you <laughs> navigated that so far, knowing it's probably going to change a lot over the years, yeah. but yeah. how have you navigated it so far? Oh, Reagan. <laughs> Anyone's out there listening, just know that I, this is the middle this is this is the hardest question to answer right now because <laughs> I don't know what I'm doing oh my goodness yeah. like so so some of this is that uh Daniel and I both we we got married at 25 so a little later if you're you know going by midwest statistics <laughs> right not really that but we both had you know 5 years of a of a career underneath our belt and then we waited about 4 years before having kids um and so we had our our daughter Evie in 2020 like we found out we were pregnant and then like three weeks later, the pandemic like really hit the United States. Oh so it's just wild. Um, and then, uh, you know, so we're navigating, you know, having a newborn We're still in the middle of the pandemic. Mm-hmm. My husband was finishing his um, doctorate from Robert Weber. I had finished a master's through Wesley. I was getting ordained. Um, and so it was, it was a very chaotic season. And in that first year of Evie's life, I really think, um, I don't, it really just it rocked our world in terms of we had set for ourselves high standards and rhythms of work that were like impossible impossible to maintain now that we had a child so yeah. it's like and because he and I work together it's like we're together all the time we talk all the time mm-hmm. we like stay at work all like we just love it we love doing this and then now it's like well we have this kid that we have to <laughs> take care of and and we can't like be working all the time and now mm-hmm. we have two kids and so it's it's even gotten more more so and so I think for us the last couple years have been a really rough awakening to like a shift in priorities it's Mm -hmm. not necessarily that that you know maybe there were some unhealthy aspects of like workaholism (laughs) I mean like maybe we were just a little bit you know production and control driven but I really do think it was a sweet season for us to just build the ministry and the kingdom Mm -hmm. uh, with what with what we had which was a lot of time and now we don't have that and so it's been a hard shift in terms of um, priorities, Sabbath, putting, putting more strict boundaries in terms of like not bringing work home as much, being attentive to our girls. We're fortunate that, um, we, we have a a good community around us. And so, uh, we've had great babysitters and people that have come to our house. And then our church actually just, um, just this week is opening a in, in church, like daycare preschool for the staff members at College oh, Wesleyan. So awesome. that's a, it, it, like what you just said. It, it feels like it's changing every like every three months. It feels like something changes. Mm-hmm. And so I was just texting with a friend this morning about like, this is just life. Like rarely do you talk to somebody these days, it seems like. And they're just like, yeah, I'm just like super bored and, and not much is going on. I mean, maybe you yeah. have those people, but like it seems like more and more it's like, I'm busy. I'm, I'm stressed. I like... Da, 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 da. And so I think for me, the challenge from the Lord has been, you're going to have these things no matter what, but what kind of person mm-hmm. are you going to become while you're doing them? 
Yeah. So like, are you going to be a parent who is full of worry and stress and tension, always like feeling like you're never enough or not getting as much done or, or feel, you know, any kind of way, or are you going to be a person that abides in me and is full of grace and full of faithfulness and full of patience and, and embodying other parts mm-hmm. of the fruit of the spirit. So that's been the challenge for me. And it, it really at this season feels like a daily, like even this morning, our, our daughter woke up like really early and, and tired and it's like, okay, so I, am I going to be grumpy all day just because mm-hmm. I'm tired or am I going to abide in the Lord and, and trust that like I can live out of a grace and mm. a kindness that is beyond who I am just as, you know, a fallen human. Yeah. Yeah. And as somebody, my dad's a pastor, so I was the daughter being raised in the church. Mm-hmm. Like now your girls get to be, I think it's such a sweet season when they're young because you get to have many voices speaking into them, voices that you trust mm-hmm. and voices who have spoken into you. Yeah. And then now they get to speak into your daughters and you get to watch them, you know, grow up and they have, you know, huge pieces of you and Daniel, but mm-hmm. also little pieces of Emily and, mm-hmm. you know, that family and yeah. little pieces of uh, Steve and all those things yeah. as people get to shape your daughters and knowing like you have a community, you have an army of believers who are supporting you in your marriage yep. and supporting you in raising a family. Yep. And I think it's a very sweet season to be able to just raise your family in the church. Yeah. And it's never easy. No. Like <laughs> doing ministry with two young girls is never going to be easy, but it is cool to be able to have, yeah. you know, that opportunity to have people speak in and yep, absolutely. do those things. Yeah, 100%. So as you are a woman in ministry, mm-hmm. as you, you know, you're always on the stage, maybe not always, but, you know, uh, leading, worshiping, people see your face, people know that you are somebody who is willing to live into this call mm-hmm. as a woman. Mm-hmm. How have you gone about empowering women? Mm-hmm. And then also kind of a question tagging onto that do you have any advice for women who are weary of their call Mm. or have been just feeling the weight of being called into ministry as a woman Mm, that's a great question can I tell a silly story well it's not silly but it seems silly but it really was the turning point for me maybe not necessarily as specific as empowering other women but in terms of just having a, a type of leadership that was really grounded in empowering others. So I'm warning you right now, this is going to sound silly, but <laughs> it's okay. It's really, as I think back on my as my career in the church, like this is what it comes back down to. So I was in either the end of my residency or, or towards the end, and I had gotten asked to lead worship at Indiana Wesleyan, so to come back and do some like alumni chapel or whatever. Mm-hmm. And the song Oceans had just come out. Like, I mean, this was like, it, I mean, do you, do you even know, like, were you alive when Oceans came out? I don't even know how old you are. But Oceans by Hillsong had just come out, and it was like the, the song. Like, and I was like, well, we're going to do this for chapel. Like, we'll be the first people to do this in chapel. Mm-hmm. Like, wow. Like, okay, this is a decade ago. So <laughs> I'm telling you, the Lord has worked on some of my pride. Like, the, the reason that that would be, like, I wanted to do it is silly. But it was. It was, like, exciting to me at the time. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to sing it. But I had somebody on my worship team who was a younger female worship leader, was studying to become a worship leader, and just frankly had, I mean, 10, 10 times. She, I, I would always say she was like the Adele of Christian worship, like just wow. a beautiful voice. And it was this moment where I was like, she should obviously sing this song. Mm-hmm. Like, obviously she should sing this song. And I felt I didn't want her to. Yeah. 
Now, granted, remember, this is like I was in my 20s. And so <laughs> I'm, I'm embarrassed to admit this. But I felt like the spirit was saying to me in that moment, like, this is defining. Like, what kind of leader are you going to be? Someone that, like, takes opportunities for yourself and makes sure that you are at the front of things? Or are you going to always work to steward and give away opportunities that you have been given that really you didn't work for? Mm. And it was in that moment that I was like, I want to, like, my in my heart, like, unfortunately, I want the former. But what I really want to be is the latter. I want to be someone who is generous with power, who looks to give away opportunities, who gets behind other people and supports. And so while I haven't done that perfectly, that's that's how I kind of view my position. And then because I think I am a woman in ministry, I naturally tend to be in discipleship conversations with with more women and I'm not exclusively and so that for me has been sort of the foundation for how I would say I I like to lead and then how I like to disciple um, is to say how can I either come alongside you how can I look for opportunities for you how can I look ahead of you and try to clear things that would block you Mm -hmm. whether it's things in society and culture or things that are actually even within yourself um, so that you can lead, um, that you can grow into the type of person, um, disciple, leader that God has called you to be. Mm-hmm. Um, and for those that I would say that are weary, um, I've come back to the story of Mary and Martha a lot this last year because I have felt a lot like Martha um, in certain seasons. And I think being a parent has been part of that where it feels like I'm I'm just I, I work full time but I also am trying to raise two kids and keep a house and be a good friend and it's like man there are just so many things mm-hmm. and so I, I feel like a lot of times I've embodied the Martha spirit of looking at others and they're like well, why why isn't anyone else like yeah. helping or doing anything or being resentful of people who have fun or have time to just enjoy life yeah and so I met with a mentor of mine and was doing some spiritual direction and she was saying like remember what Jesus says, like there, there are so many other things that are important, but really there, there's one thing. And so Mm -hmm. I would say like, if you are a woman in ministry or studying to become one, or even just in the church and you're weary, there's nothing that will, there was there's nothing that will speak to you like sitting at the feet of Jesus and abiding in him. And I would say as much as you can, like fight for even a half an hour, I mean, mm. there, the Lord can do more in a half an hour of solitude and silence, maybe with the word open, than like so many others could do with a week or a month. Yeah. I'm not saying that's the only thing, but you should try to start there. That's where I, when I'm feeling that, that's where I, mm-hmm. where I have to start. And then I found that other supplemental voices or activities, um, like I just took a five-day staycation because I was just like, I was just exhausted. Yeah. And that was so good for me. But it, it started with me even asking God, what do I need to do? And Mm -hmm. I felt like he was saying you should rest. Um, So I would say start there. And then from there, depending on your personality, depending on what resources you have available, build upon that. Mm. That's awesome. And it's great encouragement. It's going to encourage others. It encouraged me. Something with your story with the oceans, which is not a silly story at all. (laughs) I understand like it doesn't. I'm like embarrassed to admit it (laughs) because that's not who I am at all. Like if you watch how I lead on Sunday mornings, like I, I don't really sing a ton. I, we yeah. have a lot of vocalists at College Wesleyan, really great vocalists. And so I, I love giving away mm-hmm. vocal parts. And it's actually easier for me to listen to the congregation and to the band 
when I'm when I'm not actually leading a song as well. Right. So it's just funny. I just, it's more embarrassing <laughs> to me that, that that was my thought. But yeah, that's where I was at the time. But it's also I think it's easy for um, young people who get early opportunities to just want to lead it all. Mm-hmm. I mean, my parents would tell you time and time again, I'm a great leader but I'm not a great follower yet. Mm. That is something I have to continue to learn mm. is how to follow people. Yeah. And part of that is I was given a lot of opportunities at a young age to lead things. Yep. And and I love leading. That's one of my spiritual gifts. It's leadership and it's administration. Mm. Those are my top two. Mm-hmm. And so I love to do those things. So then to pass it off can be can be very hard. Yeah. But I always want to pass it off. Like yeah. that's always my desire. Mm. Um, and last night at youth group, we were talking about, we're going through some spiritual disciplines. We we're talking about prayer um, and just explaining what they are, uh, we were asked two questions. And the first one was, what do you want? And so I just gave him time to think about what do you want? Mm-hmm. And I said, what do you want to want? Mm-hmm. And so like, mm-hmm. what I want is I want to lead things. Like mm-hmm. that's my natural instinct. But what do you want to want? I want to give it to somebody else. Yeah. I want to see them succeed. Yeah. And so the more that we lean into what we want to want, the mm-hmm. more that's what we're going to want. Mm-hmm. If we, mm-hmm. you know, discipline that. Yeah. And so that's. I, I mean, through that story and the now, how you said you lead, you can see that that's what you've done. Yeah. Like you have yeah. learned how to do what you want to want mm-hmm. to now where you want to give other people opportunities and you see their gifts. And I mean, you're uplifting them constantly through this conversation of just mm-hmm. the gifts that God has given them. And I think that's when you really get to the sweet spot of mm-hmm. leadership mm-hmm. is when you're like, it's not about what I'm doing. It's my empowerment of what they're doing. Yeah. Yeah. And, so and that's, that's where, incredible. like, I think your distinction between like, a title or an identity versus like a gifting. So like, I mean, if you identify yourself as a leader, uh, I think you open yourself up to some some dangerous possibilities because, I mean, just because someone has, just because someone is a leader doesn't necessarily mean they're a good or healthy leader, right? Yeah. But if we see that as a spiritual gifting, so if it's secondary or even tertiary to who we are in Christ, then it takes everything that we then do takes on the flavor, the aroma, the personality of Jesus. And mm-hmm. so then we look to him. It's like, well, how did how did Christ lead his yeah. disciples? How did Christ lead those that, you know, flocked to him? How did Christ lead his his, his own personhood? Like mm-hmm. we see constantly an abiding with the Father and a and a fellowship with the community of believers and an evangelism to the world, a a, a dwelling with the marginalized and those whose society he had cast out. And so uh if we say like I'm a leader, you know, like it's like, okay, but what kind of leader are you, yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so when you say, yeah, it's a gifting, then it can always be submitted to our primary call, which is mm-hmm. sons and daughters, um, disciples of Jesus, people who yeah. are learning the way. Yeah, that's awesome. So I have one last question for you. And that's when, when you look at the church years from now, mm-hmm. what do you hope to see? Like, where do you hope the future of the church is? Yeah. And it doesn't necessarily have to be a woman's role in the church, but yeah. just, I mean, you can look at your church over the lifetime and it's changed a lot. Yeah. Where do you hope the church is at the end of your lifetime? Yeah. Yeah. We've been talking about this a lot, kind of specifically through the the, the local church at College Wesleyan. And so uh, because we've been living there for the last three or four years, it's also what I hope for the larger church. And there's mm-hmm. two things, and I'll try to say them as briefly as quickly as possible. One is um, we've been calling it I mean, really, it's what Scripture says is the priesthood of all believers. So I think over the last few decades, there's been a, a sharp division between someone who is 
you know, on staff at a church and then someone who is in the congregation. And, mm-hmm. and I mean, there's definitely biblical framework for someone who is set apart. Their life is set up. We see this all the way back in the Old Testament with the Levitical priesthood. We see that God calls certain people to um, disciple and lead the flock, right? Yeah. So I'm not disparaging that. But but in the epistles and further on, we see this broadening call that the Spirit is at work in anyone who call, who would call themselves a disciple of Jesus. Mm-hmm. And so there are roles that we have put on pastors or staff members that really are are supposed to be for all people. And so uh, the the sending of God's church each and every week into every domain of work, every space, every household, every dorm. That is what I want to see. I want to see people gathered by God on Sunday mornings and sent by the power of the Spirit Mm. to bear the image and name of Jesus in any space so that you wouldn't necessarily, yes, maybe some are called specifically to serve the church like like myself, but I have friends who it's like they work in offices and they coach Mm -hmm. teams and and I wouldn't say they need to leave those places in order to be faithful witnesses of Jesus. So that's what I would hope to see in the future. I also think as we continue to see the globalization of Christianity, my hope is that, especially within the American church and even more specifically within the American evangelical church, that we would have a more open posture to what God is doing around the world. Mm. Um, We are seeing rapidly a shift from the center of Christianity being predominantly Western, Northern to the global South, to Asia and Africa. Um, Like, even the leading language in Christianity today is Spanish, not English. That changed in the mm-hmm. 1980s. So this is like, this is already happening. I don't think we feel it as much in the Midwest, like mm-hmm. we're, but that's changing rapidly with immigration trends. And I think that there, uh, this can be a very like pol- politicized topic and I don't think it needs to be. Mm-hmm. Um, it will be because that's just how it is. But I think that if the American church can uh, embrace our global brothers and sisters, whether that's people in different countries or immigrants who are or or diverse or minority voices who are already amongst us. Mm -hmm. There's a rich theological and Christian community orientation that we are missing that is available to us from our brothers and sisters. And so that's something that College Church is leaning into right now where we are learners, we are beginners in this. So um, I this is something that my I'm studying myself um, Mm -hmm. and trying to learn and grow in myself. But it's it's what gives me a lot of hope to say that uh, God's church cannot be stamped out. Like mm. his gospel will spread in every nation and every tongue and every tribe. Yeah. And so that gives me a lot of hope to see that the, the gospel is alive and well throughout the world. That's awesome. And what an encouraging note to end on of just the realness of the word of God and the breath of life and just that he is involved in every step, every moment, every word we speak. We serve a great God, and it's so encouraging to hear stories of women who are stepping into that call um, in many different aspects. Um, You're the first one who is a worship leader that we've had on, so just being able to see that women can lead, you know, not just in children's ministry or not just as a director of, but they can be on staff, they can be a pastor, they can be leading different aspects, so that's incredible. But thanks for taking time this morning and coming and sharing your story. And as for the podcast, we will see you back next week.